How's it going? And welcome to episode 138 of On The Wire. Proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at On The Wire Pod. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me at 80 Grid. That's all spelled out. And Kevin is still on the Twitter at Hasting Kevin. And we are in the thick of draft season, Kevin. We know this. It is mid-November. That's just what it is. <laughs> Everybody knows this. You finished up a, a quick gladiator, right? Over the weekend, I'm in the middle of a slow and I couldn't help myself. Had to jump in. How did your how did your draft go? It went pretty well. I, I was pretty happy with it. Uh, yeah, it was. I, I couldn't resist either. I saw a couple of tweets on Sunday, I believe it was, that there was a few spots left and then a One couple of, those, yep. of less. And then <laughs> there was a... It was getting close to draft time, and I thought, ah, it's full, but I'm going to take a look. And sure enough, there was one spot left. So at that point, <laughs> I definitely couldn't resist and hopped on in and had a good time. Yeah, the, the gladiators are fun. We It was a one-minute pick timer, and we were done in an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah, so that hour and 45 rounds. minutes, yeah, we're done now. An hour and 45 minutes, and we're done with all the maintenance needed for that you, never, so you don't really have nice. to do it's a true set it and forget it format we know this now you're stuck with it or you're stuck with it depending on how you want to look at it <laughs> um, exactly yeah it's just it's a fun way to draft especially if you're drafting early i know everybody loves best balls and no shots on that there's definitely a different nuance to the gladiators and knowing that you live and die by these 23 players because they are going, you are going to get a hundred. Like we always say too, in most of the time, like when you draft players, you're not getting a hundred percent of their stats. Sometimes you're going to bench them. Sometimes you're going to platoon them out. Sometimes they're going to get hurt. doesn't matter. And then you for don't put them back in on time or whatever. And this you get 100, you, that stat line that they have at the end of the year that is what you need to put into your spreadsheet because that's what you're going to get. Simple. And, and one other thing in recent years, it's, we've come to, I, I think a, a lot of us anyway, have come to the point where rather than mock drafts, we'll do draft champions leagues mm -hmm. or best ball leagues. And that's everybody's got a little bit of skin in the game so that we we expect those drafts to to help us more than a mock draft would for our leagues that will draft in March. I what I've realized with the Gladiator due to roster construction, these can be a big help for those that do auction leagues because in an auction league draft, at least on NFBC and, and some other formats, you have to fill your 23 starting lineup positions in the auction before you do your reserve round snake draft. So I, I think the gladiators really help in that aspect in preparing for auctions as well. Yeah, I can see that. Absolutely. And, and the, the way that players get moved up or pushed down in a gladiator, I think would mimic in a way the auction as well. You're Second willing catchers, to, for example, yeah, you you're willing wait. to spend up in those scenarios in an auction for the players you really want. Cause they're going to be starting for you. Gladiators, they're all going to be starting for you. So you want to make sure that you get the guy you want. You can jump them up a round or two. So ADP is very young in the process. And in the draft board, in the draft room, of course, ADP is a consolidation of all drafts that have concluded. So if it's a best ball, if it's a cut line, if it's a gladiator, if it's a DC, what have you, they're all mixed together. So the ADP you never trust ADP in the on the draft board. That's really what right. it comes down, what I'm getting to. All right, we we're post postseason and pre things actually happening. We we got a we talked about it last week, Kevin. There's a couple of guys that entered the free agent field because their options weren't picked up either by themselves or by their teams. We've got we've got some players that we know are going to be posted coming over from Japan, but nothing is actually happening yet. Usually I think the GM meetings just concluded a little earlier than I think they all would have wanted it to due to some stomach virus thing going around. We won't point any fingers on blame games on that, but it did end a little early. So we didn't see any moves, actually no signings, no moves coming from that. I think the only piece of news that I really saw the worth, I don't know, even it's worth mentioning, probably worth mentioning a little bit more in a future episode is 
Jeff Passant saying or mentioning that there's a possibility that the MLB Rules Committee is going to be pushing for a two-second shortening of the pitch clock with runners on base. So currently that's a 15 second clock with no runners on and a 20 second clock with runners on base. They want to move it to an 18 second clock. I want to ask you this. It's not on a rundown, but I got to ask you why. That was my initial reaction. Yeah. So very similar to all the comments under <laughs> Jeff Hassan's tweet. That was my original reaction. It's like, why mess with this? You got the results you wanted. Why are you tweaking it more? Upon thinking about it for a little bit, I'm, I've come to the conclusion that I'm guessing most pitchers were coming in under that 18 seconds with runners on base. So they said, why don't we drop it just to, to get everybody to that point? Because almost everybody's already there. That's my guess. And I think this is one of those things that we're going to question right now. And then I don't think it'll be an issue at all when the season starts i, I really don't think um, it'll be an issue at I, all but it's but just yeah my annoying. yeah the why i really don't know unless it's just to get the handful of guys that were still pushing that limit to get the get them to down around the or within the 18 seconds that probably 95 percent of pitchers were yeah i mean all most of the comments i saw and i'm in agreement like the game already got shortened enough right what like how much more do you need to shave off of this and does it create does it actually create more time for advertisers does it create more like open space for some other revenue stream i'm not sure but yeah it just seemed i'm also a big fan of nice round numbers five is as close to a round number as you can get without it being (laughs) zero and then 20 it's like all right those seem fine okay we can work with this but yeah it just seemed like it was i think justin mason put it perfectly and in his tweet it was just like this seems like it's turning into one of those fantasy leagues that you hate because they change the rules or they tweak the rules every year without giving the time to marinate and so, yeah you know we'll see what i i really don't think it's going to impact or i wouldn't put any credence into it impacting number of stolen bases or how many times we'll see pitchers getting knocked for going over the time um, violations, but we'll see. Yeah. I several times during the postseason, I, I never did end up making the tweet, but several times I thought I really wanted to put out there. Hey, few months ago i was told these games were going to be decided by pitch clock violations (laughs) by either the pitcher or the hitter when everybody was up in arms how come that isn't happening and i i think everybody got used to it and we saw a few early in the season less and less throughout the season i don't recall seeing any in the postseason there might have been one or two but uh, yeah i just don't think it's that big of an issue so i was questioning it at first as well but i'm just like eh, i don't think it's gonna honestly i was surprised we saw as many violations in spring training in in april as we did you every team and every player had at least three to four months of preparation they knew it was coming (laughs) <laughs> and yeah. you still, I'm like, why, why is this a problem? And then obviously we, yeah, you, there's theories out there. Obviously that some teams did a better job of communicating with their players and, and, and coaching them along the way than others. And I think you can see that in the numbers. If you look back at those violations and who was committing them, but hopefully nobody's uh, caught off guard this time as we're getting this news in November, nothing finalized yet, of course, but it should be, uh, I think it'll be coming, putting pen to paper pretty soon so yeah it sure sounded like it yeah all right the thing that we're i alluded to earlier that we haven't really seen pen to paper on is contracts signed with all these free agents and there are quite a few free agents going into the 2024 season so that's what we're going to talk about today kevin talking about some of these free agents that are on the board where we think they might go how what kind of an impact you think they're going to have either on their teams and also with their teams are going to have an impact on them. And that's what we care about the most, obviously for our fantasy teams, as we're drafting now in a good chunk of the pool that we're drafting from don't have a home. And some of the lower free agents, I've learned my lesson, stay away from them in our, in my DCs for the off chance that they do end up signing overseas. And I don't get them on my teams all year long, but some of the, but most of these uh, guys we're going to talk about today, you're going to be drafting them in a lot of them. You're going to be drafting them in your gladiators. You're going to hope that they find their way to a good, a good home where they can put up 
w- w- the numbers that you need to win your leagues. First and foremost, I got we're going to reference this a lot, I think. So was, I'm going to put this out here at the start. Sean Roberts over at Pitchless put a great article out about two weeks ago or so, two and a half weeks ago, called 2024 Free Agent Predictions, where we think everyone will go. It's predicting the 2024 MLB free agent signings. It's a very extensive list. Uh, a lot of a lot of straight predictions there by Sean. Um, and his sources, I will use sources as loosely or as tightly as he would like, but it is, it, it's a fun read. Make sure you take a chance to read through that. We're not going to go through every one of his predictions, but I do want to get your take on that nice little visualization that he's got at the top of the, at the top of the article. Justin, of course, parodies put that together for him, but it, the, it's his team spending matrix. So he, he, puts against the team's willingness, what he thinks is their willingness to spend versus how ready they are to contend. But of course, in the top right corner of that matrix are the Dodgers. They've got the money that they are ready to contend. They're in the playoffs. They're in the playoffs every year, uh, whether they, they, they swept or not in the first round, eh, whatever, but they're still there. They're contending, right? And of course, the bottom left corner, you have the still Oakland athletics. Anything, any anything stand out on this matrix to you as far as, yeah, that seems about right where these guys are going to spend money and whether they're contending or not. And yeah, we'll start with the not so surprising picks here. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that, that I look at when I'm seeing this is the willingness to spend is low on on a couple of teams, just over mid pack for teams like the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Blue Jays. And and it's all about the, the, the competitive balance tax, right? So a couple of these teams have been over it for a couple of years. You go over to third year and you're paying a 50% payroll tax. Now the Dodgers already paid that this past season and we know they're in on Shohei Otani. So he's got their willingness to spend, right? Like you said, they're at the top right corner as contenders and spenders. But I think that's the biggest thing. There's a, a handful of teams that typically we would think of as big spenders that may not be. I, I think the one wrinkle would be if they would get into talks with Shohei Otani and something was starting to get moving forward that could completely flip a team's script as far as whether or not they're going to go over that threshold for 2024. But that's the biggest thing. Also it's, they got the Mets on here as willingness to spend. We heard mid season that they were not planning to contend even in 2024. And I believe they are one of the teams that have been over that threshold two seasons. And if they go over for a third, they go up to that 50% tax. So they have them as a pretty high or Sean has him, the Mets as a pretty high willingness to spend team. I'm not so sure there. I think Seattle Mariners fans would be ecstatic to see that they are towards the top as in contenders and willingness to spend. That's pretty interesting. Right out right there near the Texas Rangers defending World Series champions. That's got to make Mariners fans happy. Yeah. Uh, I think the one that stood out to me, there's two. They're both A teams. We got Atlanta, of course, obviously on the far right for ready to contend, of course. But he's got them at a seven out of ten. To put it in perspective, a ten was the Dodgers for willing to spend at the top. They get them at a seven. So I don't disagree that the Atlanta will spend money, but all their money seems to be internal. All, and, all their money yeah, seems to be. They don't have go- to spend. They got everybody locked up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so they just, and we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but they just declined a $9 million option on Eddie Rosario. And of course, all the, the rumors now are where they might move some players around to play the outfields, save some money in that. Von Grissom comes to mind, moving him to left field to get some reps there as well to save some money rather than sign another outfielder or a big time outfielder. So I don't see Atlanta spending a lot of money in free agency, but if they have players internally that they want to lock in, I think they've pretty much done that already, <laughs> mm-hmm. but they, I don't see them doing it in free agency. Maybe if they do a sign and trade, what they did with Matt Olson, maybe that's what they do or Sean Murphy, excuse me. Maybe that's where they go and spend money in that realm, but not straight free agency is just not the where I'm looking at it. And then the Angels, I'm not sure, obviously, if they're not going to spend the money to retain Otani in 
not maybe that has less to do with them willing to spend the money on Otani and Otani wanting to come back. I, I don't know. I don't know the inner workings of Otani's preferences here, but I can venture to guess they're not going to end up spending a lot of money. In, I think if they do spend some money, it'll be very similar to what they did last year. And they do those one-year deals, those one-and-a-half-year deals even, and maybe not so much make a big splash. Uh, so, so they I'm, can dump them all on September 1st. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm saying they're not selling the team anymore. So I guess that's less of a... Of a a roadblock as you talked about it a lot it's like you're selling the team you don't want money on the books long term right right so if maybe they do get forced to sell the team just due to competence (laughs) that probably doesn't happen but i still don't see them spending that kind of money at this point so those are the ones that stood out to me in that realm but um i I, on this board so last year i I put this in the run it's like there's the example i'm going to use is baltimore last year i think everybody thought baltimore was like on the cusp they were ready to contend obviously they were best record in the american league last year they got the number one seed over there obviously they needed a little bit more to make it over the hump in the playoffs and i think everybody knew that as well but I think we all thought that they were going to do that last offseason, right? They were going to get over that hump by bringing in some either veteran arms or what have you. I'd be very surprised if that doesn't happen this year. But Baltimore didn't do anything last year of note. So I'm curious to know, who do you think is that team this year? The one that we think is so close to contending. All they need to do is spend up for two or three decent free agents. And we would expect them to do something. And then at the, by, by spring training, we're going to say, why didn't they do anything? I think it could be Arizona. And you can't get much closer than being runner-up sure. in the World Series. But I, I think in spite of the run that, that they went on, that they're probably still a little bit ahead of schedule, right? I think and they have guys coming up through their own system. I know Jordan Lawler and others. And I think that their fans and a lot of baseball fans probably expect, oh, you get to the World Series. Now you really got to go for it. I'm not so sure free agency is the way that Arizona is going to go for it. All right. That's fine. That's fair. Yeah. I think if I had a guess in this room, I, I want to say it's the Blue Jays, but they've already went down that road that they brought in. There was a couple of years ago, obviously, and they're still bringing in some, they're still bringing up some guys, but they're, they, they've got some holes to fill. And I wonder if they're going to end up spending it on a name or two to fill the likes of what Merrifield is gone. That second base spot is not wide open. It it definitely could use a filler. And I have a feeling that they, even though they very well could and they push themselves over that edge, I think that they might be taking this offseason off, pun intended, as far as free agency goes and reset themselves to see where they really land in the AL East. Yeah, and like I said, I don't see Atlanta. I don't think Atlanta's spending, but I don't think anybody really expects them to either. I don't think what I'm I don't think my thoughts on them is like in the minority at this point. All right, on the other end, all right, who's going to be the big surprise? And I use Texas as the example from a couple of years ago when they they came out of not nowhere, but they came out of nowhere and spent a lot of money. Corey Seager on Marcus Semien, even though they weren't really ready yet, right? Like these were guys that they were using as their their backbone to then build on top of that, where they obviously brought in Jacob deGrom. Luck. Congratulations to Jacob deGrom for getting a ring. I'm glad he got a ring. <laughs> and what, what other things that they did, who's going to be that team that's like, hey, you know what? This team's not really ready to contend, but they're ready to spend in your mind. This doesn't really fit the qualifications for your question, because I think Many think they're ready, especially with exciting young players. Uh, But they have been very reluctant to spend in the past and, in fact, have cut payroll when many thought they probably could have been contenders, I think, three, four years ago at different times. And that's the Cincinnati Reds. I think people do think they're ready to contend and their fans of course are ready for them to spend money i think a a lot of other baseball fans that aren't reds fans agree go sign a couple veteran pitchers but i i don't know if people really expect it 
since they have been reluctant to in recent years, that one sticks out to me because they're clear down at, at the bottom of the board here that Sean put as far as willingness to spend. But more along the qualifications of your question, as in that would really surprise people, the Washington Nationals lineup is not that bad. It seems to me with a couple of nice free agent signings and a little bit of luck in their player development, they could make that jump that Arizona made, that Texas made. They Both those teams lost 100 games two years ago. The Washington Nationals could make that preliminary move like Texas did that you brought up. It wasn't this season that they signed Seager and, and Simeon. They, they signed them early and locked them up for multiple years because their window was coming. It may be time for Washington to do that. Yeah, I was going to go the same, very similar route right next to him on this chart. I was going to go Pittsburgh. But the Pittsburgh probably fits that very same or similar situation. I feel like Texas was maybe they're a step, just step back, but they've got some very interesting names moving their way up. And if you were to sign some inter- some good free, younger free agents now, knowing that they're not going to help you win 2024, they may not even help you win 2025. But by that, by 2026, you still got these solid early 30s, uh, solid bats. There's a lot of arms on the free agent market right now. That maybe you don't go with the arms. Obviously, that's not what Texas did as well. But yeah, somebody like Pittsburgh taking it, and then also that what I think knocks Washington from doing something like that is the division that they live in between Philadelphia and Atlanta and even Miami at this point. And who knows? I love that you didn't name the Mets. (laughs) You named everybody but the Mets. I love it. (laughs) But Pittsburgh could Pittsburgh like Cincinnati could take advantage of the fact that it seems like Milwaukee is ready to walk away from their contending window. The Cubs seem to be, poised to just run away with things in that division but st louis who knows how what kind of cardinal magic is going to exist or not so if there's an opportunity to take a step forward i think it is in the nl centrals looking for you i like the reds call out and i will throw in the pirates as a sneaky surprise that we might see this offseason it's just something to consider as well because there are a lot of free agents on the market and you're like, oh, I hope, I hope all these pitch, none of these pitchers that I'm drafting are going to sign with Colorado. I hope none of them are going to sign with Cincinnati or what have you. I hope all my bats do instead. So you do have to consider who are the all teams the you think are going to make Baltimore. moves. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to think of Baltimore anymore. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, there was definitely a point where you didn't want any of your pitchers to go to Baltimore. Now you're like, eh, I'm good with that. <laughs> definitely lefties. I hope all the lefties <laughs> sign in Baltimore that I draft anyway. Yeah, only the ones that you draft. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> that should have went without saying. All right, let's. we're going to talk about a bunch of these players that are on the free agent market. We're not going to talk about all of them. That would be a very long podcast, which I know some of you guys listening would not mind. But I got to go to bed. So we're going to get to a couple of them. We're going to break them down into groups, uh, a bunch of hitters, and then a bunch of pitchers. We're going to play our favorite game or my favorite game, Ask Free Agent Edition. We're going to do that after this break. All right, we are back. We are going to get right into our player discussion parts of the pod where we kind of, Kevin, I'm going to break down some groupings of some hitters that are on the free agent market. None of these guys have signed yet unless they sign by the time I hit publish on this episode. I apologize for that if that happens. Tried to loop them together based on position or some kind of like-minded grouping and of course we're going to play ask i'm going to ask you to pick one there's three players in each one of these groupings you've got to force yourself to draft so you've got to draft one of these guys in a gladiator so you'll have to you'll pick him and he's on your roster all year round that is your k that's keep your s is going to be your streamer these are the guys you're not going to draft but you will readily pick them up during free agency. So this is your fab league and their a is your avoid. So these guys you're not planning on drafting even in a DC. So that kind of break them down based on format and what have you as well. So I want you to take into a lot of things into consideration. Obviously they're all free agents. You don't know where they're going to play. 
you've got to consider whether the fact that they're going to find their way into a lineup that is going to be conducive to them actually getting at bats for the hitters of the players around them. If they're going to be a starter, if they're going to end up finding a, a platoon spot somewhere, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of things to consider, a lot of things to put put forth. Let's go into our corner infielders. First and foremost, for, uh, all three of these guys are over the age of 30. They are not the healthiest individuals, at least not by history standards. Reese Hoskins leaving the Phillies. You got Garrett Cooper entering free agency and then Gio Urshela not coming back to the White Sox probably. Who's your, I'm going to ask you, how, how, what do you prefer with these three guys? This was the easiest grouping for me. One, because you phrased it perfectly when you said that the guy you'll keep in your lineup all year, who would you draft in a gladiator, right? And I did draft Bryce Hoskins in the gladiator. I think the 2023 injury is has him being drafted way later than he probably should be. Yes, he missed some games in 2021 and 2020, but three of the five seasons 2018 2019 and 2022 surrounding the the 2020 and 2021 he played at least 153 games in each of those three seasons and even including 2021 when he only played 107 games 34 29 27 30 those are his home road home run totals in the last four full seasons that major league baseball was playing his his walk rates are still double digits strikeout rates mid 20s could be a little lower but we know what reese hoskins is and i don't think it's gonna matter too much where he lands i i think uh there's a, a slight possibility of platooning depending on what where he goes there's some teams that try to platoon almost everybody and, and so that could be a bit of a concern but i with most places he would land i don't think it would be so i think he's still a 25 to 30 home runs 80 runs 80 rbi 240 to 250 batting average guy like he has been for the past three or four seasons that he played of course he missed all of 2023 so Reese Hoskins, pretty easy there for me as the guy I draft. I don't have any confidence in all at, at these days in Gio Urshela. I did coming into 2023 with the, he was in the Angels lineup early in the year, and, and I was drafting him in spots. Uh, but Garrett Cooper, when healthy, is a good player. We just don't know when he's healthy. So he's a perfect streamer. When he's healthy and available and you need a guy, you pick up Garrett Cooper and he's always available. I picked him up and dropped him several times every season for the past five years. He's always there for us. So this one's pretty easy for me. Hoskins, I'll draft. Cooper, I'll stream. Urshela, probably not going to be on any of my teams. Fair enough. Yeah, Sean has uh, Reese Hoskins going to the Toronto Blue Jays. And honestly, in replacing... In replacing basically Brandon Belt, who's obviously right. free agent as well, um, I could see any of these guys filling that role that Belt filled for the Blue Jays last year. And Garrett Cooper basically is Brandon Belt to an extent as far as like his injury expect go throughout the course of the season. So that's that's the key too is where does Hoskin go where he can you know get up get those at bats and get the consistent at bats where he's going to continue to be the 25 to 30 home run guy that you're expecting Toronto you know probably fits that bill where he can go back and forth between first base spending basically just not platooning but going back and forth with Vladdy at first base in DH for the Blue Jays and I think that's going to be key for him and actually any of these guys finding a spot where they're able to play some take some DH spots as well as playing, you know, their position on the field. Gio, who knows if he stays at the third baseman or if he moves over, but you know, either way, these guys are all, you're considering all these guys as your corner infielder in whatever format that you're considering. All right, let's move into the middle infield. Then Kevin, three guys that, you know, I put this on, this one should be easy, but I'm not sure it is because you can't avoid all of them. And so we have Whit Merrifield, joining the fray with his mutual option, both sides of his mutual option. You don't see that very often, right? The both sides of the mutual option 
being declined by both the player and the team. Tim Anderson being let go. And then Alberto Mondesi, after not playing a single game for the Boston Red Sox after being traded from your Royals. Who Who's your gladiator? And who... <laughs> I said avoid stream and keep, and I like this better. I'm going to go with, yeah, who you dropped in your gladiator, who are you picking up in your Fab League, and who are you avoiding even in your draft champions? Yeah, so at, at first look, yeah, this is really easy. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, maybe it's not so easy. But I many times when you ask questions like this, I, I tend to bend the rules, and I'm going to try not to do that here because... You did stipulate when, and, and especially when you're saying gladiator, right? You're holding them all year. I'd rather draft and take the chance on either Tim Anderson or Aldebelto Mondesi into my draft. And if it's not working out after a couple of weeks, drop them. But I, I'm going to follow the rules. Can't do that. So Whit Merrifield is the, the easy one to draft. And then the other two, we have the same issue. I will say that it we probably at least see Tim Anderson on the field this season. And we still don't know that about Mondesi. But I don't see was Tim such Anderson a weird, on any of it, my teams. I really don't. I don't see Tim Anderson. I don't see picking him up. He'll be available. He's being drafted outside of the, the top in, in a 12 team league, 360. I think his ADP is around 400 right now. He'll be available on waiver wires. I just don't think I'm going to buy it. Even if he does start off really hot, that quick Mondesi, if he's going to play, we know he's a stolen base threat. This might be the hardest one. We went from the easiest to the hardest right <laughs> off the bat here, Adam. But gosh, I, like I said, I'm going to stick to the rules. Mondesi's not going to get drafted. If we hear news that he's going to play um, in a fab league, he's not going to get drafted, which is what we're talking about here. If we start getting news that he's on a roster and ready to play, he's going to be picked up everywhere. So I'd probably be in on that for the stolen bases. I, I just don't see myself getting too excited about Tim Anderson. Although, like I said, to start, if I'm not following the rules to your game here, <laughs> Tim Anderson, I think, is worth taking a shot on. What if the change of scenery getting out of Chicago helps him? All that kind of thing. We know he, we know he has talent. He hit over 300 for four consecutive seasons, I think, prior to the last one. So I just, the home runs going to, down to one is crazy to me. So, yep, Merrifield's my draft. I think I'm avoiding Tim Anderson, and for lack of a better spot to put him, Mondesi would be the streamer. Streamer, sure. I think that we got to remember that these are all free agents, and we are drafting before they sign. And so yep. some the part of me that is thinking is like, all right, which one of these guys can do the most for their stock, for their draft capital, whatever you want to call it, based on where they sign? And I think... I don't think that it matters where Tim Anderson or Mondesi sign. I don't think it matters where they play. Like we, I think we know who they are. I granted it, it would matter for playing time, but both of these guys, I think they're going to sign somewhere where they are going to be able to play. Mondesi didn't have a choice. He got traded. Tim Anderson is a spotlight player. Like he's a player. He wants, he wants to play. Mitt Weirfield, he can make or break based on where he ends up signing. If he find if he finds a place where he's going to play more often than maybe we think he should, great. He can volume his way into a a solid utility spot on a gladiator. You're fine. Your twenty third pick, if you will. If he finds his way into a platoon or as a role player, as a veteran presence, whatever you want to call it, yeah, maybe that's not something you want to go for. But you don't know what you're doing. In, you don't know where he's going at this point. And so I think he has the most fluctuation in where you can go. I think what you're getting with Tim Anderson and, and Mondesi, regardless of where they end up signing. So I think yeah, I can see that. The, the other caveat here, uh, and this isn't, I don't know if you wanted this taken into consideration necessarily, but if you want Whit Merrifield on your team at any point throughout the season, unless he struggles mightily, you have to draft him. He's going around pick 200. 
So you have to draft him if you want him on your team. All right, let's go into the outfield. We got two groups of outfielders. First one I've got here are guys who have pretty much been consistent this at least this past season. Whether you expected that or not doesn't matter. Uh, but two of these guys hit over twenty home runs. One of them turned it on late and seems like he found a new life. And that is Tommy Pham, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., your other Arizona Diamondback free agent, now free agent. And then Atlanta declined the $9 million option on Eddie Rosario. So we've got three outfielders here who are looking for new homes. As I mentioned, two of them are Diamondbacks. They are World Series runner-ups and Rosario has a ring himself <laughs> with Atlanta. If I'm not mistaken, he was on that roster. So yeah, same thing. Who are we drafting in the gladiator? Who are you picking up in a fab league? And who are you avoiding even in your 50 round draft champions? This is tough because I'm going to have to avoid a guy that I actually won't be avoiding. Right. Uh, because I'm taking Eddie Rosario as the streamer right off the bat. Uh, multiple times throughout this season, Bubba and Ryan on Bubba in the Bloom would make a comment about the Braves are facing all righties again. Get Rosario in your lineups, right? And so Eddie Rosario, who typically would have been a streamer for a very long period of time, stayed on rosters this past season, 2023. Just the schedule worked out amazingly, and we got what we were hoping for from him so he's the streamer when he lands with the team most likely will be platooned similar to what he has been in the past and when he, when they're facing righties we want him in our lineups so he he's the streamer but then that means i gotta pick one guy that i'm actually drafting and one that I'm avoiding, and I would draft either one of these guys. They're going similar spots, early to mid, 200s and ADP. I think it matters less where Tommy Pham lands. I, I like Sean's prognosis in the article where he has him possibly going to Seattle to take Teoscar Hernandez's spot. I like that idea. I could see that happening. So I'm going to lean with Pham. Avoid Guriel with the caveat that I'm not actually avoiding Lords Guriel Jr. this season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you said, they're going in a similar spot. That has to play a role as well in these decisions. I try not to put players in here that are, have drastically different current ADPs, which, like I said, ADP, whatever. But at the same time, if I were to put Tiasker Hernandez in this group, also a free agent, versus a Lords Guriel Jr., you might be avoiding Teoscar at that point, like at that point in the draft, that might just not be your taste of what you're looking for. So that would make it a little bit easier to make the decision on who's going to be your avoid. I'm not saying he is your avoid if that was the case, but I'm just, you have to consider, am I really looking to pick up an, an outfielder in that round or at that point in the draft? Am I looking to spend up for that kind of a player or am I willing to take the discounted Guriel Jr. type of type of player instead? Instead, I put, like you said, two players very similar in ADP or similar enough when it comes down to that point in the draft. Anything between 200 and 240 is enough of a similarity in ADP. You pick who you want. All right, three more outfielders. Guys are going a little bit later than these guys. So this is your bargain bin version of the last group. Still, of course, all free agents. We have one more hitter group after this, and then we'll hit it into some pitchers. Hunter Renfro is a free agent once again. This will be, this will, if he signs with a new team, I, if I'm not mistaken, this will be Renfro's sixth team in six years, if I'm not mistaken, between, I don't even, I don't have the list in front of me, but I know it was quite a bit between Milwaukee, Boston, Anaheim. I know I'm missing two or three in there, but Jason Hayward's also <laughs> angels. a three. Angel, yeah, of course, the Angels. Jason Hayward, who is, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm being honest, a lot younger than I thought he was uh, based on just everything. And then your boy, Michael A. Taylor, a free agent as well, leaving Minnesota. So yeah, same question. I'm going to ask you the same question, Kevin. 
how do they how these players fit into your uh, draft strategy? So we can stream all these guys. None of them are being drafted in the top four fifty. <laughs> is that an okay answer? No, it's not. It doesn't fit. <laughs> not. So since we once again, I was joking. I am going to try to play by the rules here. Well, you said something in the opening of the show. You're careful about guys that you think have a chance of signing overseas. Isn't Hunter Renfro the type of guy that has been signing overseas over the past few years from time to time? That would be my concern here. Otherwise, he would be my choice to draft. I'm a big Hunter Renfro fan. I think he bounces back. Yeah. I, I He will be on some of my teams this season. But for this exercise, with all of these guys going roughly pick 500 or later, so only being drafted in draft champions leagues at the moment. If I'm drafting one of these guys for a gladiator, it's Michael A. Taylor. I know he's not going to get 600 plate appearances. He might not get 400 plate appearances, but he will get close and he could go over and his defense is going to get him at least that. And we talked about it. A, a couple of times towards the end of the season, a 600 plate appearance um, average, he's over a 2020 guy. So when he does get in there, he does produce. Hopefully he's signed by a good team that just wants some good defense out in center field and gets you those 400 plate appearances. And of these three guys, although I think depending on where he signs, Hunter Renfro could get those 600 plate appearances. I know Michael A. Taylor is going to get me roughly 400 or more. And Hunter Renfro, I, I have that concern that you brought up about going overseas. And then if that's my concern, he's the guy I'm going to leave out. And I'll, I'll stream Jason Hayward, who was a great streamer from time to time in 2023 and was always available when we needed him. Yeah, I, I like to call it, I, I agree that Renfro would probably be the one that I'm, I did not really cross my mind that he would go overseas, but once you start, once you put that, that, that seed in my mind, I can't help it. I can't stop it from growing. Now I'll be surprised. Now I'm already at a point. It's only five minutes into that conversation. <laughs> I'm, I'm already convinced <laughs> myself that's going to happen. That's already happened. Renfro's the guy if he's signing with a major league team for sure. Yeah. All right, let's go into the wild card uh, grouping here. These are mostly DHs. Two of them actually are only available at the UT spot to open the year. And one of them, you'd almost be surprised he was available in the outfield based on just the type of player he is. Of course, we're talking about J.D. Martinez, free agent, leaving, possibly leaving the L.A. Dodgers. Jorge Soler, who is still outfield eligible, but will be getting pretty much non-stop reps at DH, I would expect, wherever he ends up going. And then Jesse Winker, UT only going into 2024. He he has the possibility of regaining outfield eligibility based on where he goes, but at least to start the season. And if you happen to draft him in a gladiator, he's only going into your util spot. Well, but where do these guys fit in your draft plans, Kev? Also uh, knowing that two of these guys are only available at the UT spot. Right. I'm going to kick out Winker. And that now we're in another situation where you will have to draft either J.D. Martinez or Jorge Soler to get him on your teams. I believe Soler's going roughly around pick 150 and J.D. Martinez just after pick 200, just outside the 200. And I really like both of these guys for 2024. I, I think... They've both had injury issues in the past. They both had nice 2023s. As much as I think Soler has a higher ceiling, I'm more confident in J.D. Martinez just doing what we think he'll do regardless of where he lands. So I'll draft Martinez, stream Soler, even though we won't be able to do that. You'll have to draft him. And, and Winker's the guy I'll leave out here. Is there... Any location that J.D. Martinez goes and he can regain a position eligibility. The New York Yankees, because everybody else on the team gets injured. <laughs> and they right? won't and have a Stanton out there, Stanton out there, Judge out there, D.H. slash outfield. It, it seems like everybody gets thrown in the mix there at some point over the past couple of years. I don't think he'll sign with the Yankees because I 
Giancarlo Stanton needs to be full-time designated hitter. But if a team like that, other than, no, I don't think so. I think, and and I don't want him to. We've talked about this uh, over the past couple of years. Nelly Cruz would not have done what Nelly Cruz did if he was still trying to run out there and play in the outfield every day. He wouldn't have became the hitter he was late in his career. J.D. Martinez is on track to be that guy right now and could probably do this for another three or four seasons if he's just designated hitter. That's what I want to see. Yeah, that's fair. You said that with Miguel Cabrera a couple years yeah, ago. Yeah, I had like, hope. But yeah. He still yeah. kept getting injured, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he went out playing the field. <laughs> Yeah, he'd have to, Martinez would have to sign for some reason sign with a team that already has a logjam at DH, which are pretty were pretty rare. I say the Minnesota Twins comes to mind as a, as an option that kind of fit the same bill that you're talking about with as the Yankees, where obviously you need to hold you need to have Bucks. Even though there's talks, Buxton's gonna wants to go back in the field, but he will be UT only going into 2024 as well. So you have to wait at least ten to, ten games of him playing the field to get it back. But between the injuries that they get all across the uh, the diamond and in the outfield, maybe there's an opening for JD to get into the field in Minnesota, but also not a team that I expect him to go to as well. All right, we got five more groupings of pitchings to go to, and we will get to all of those after this quick break. All right, let's get right into Kevin. We got our first grouping of pitchers are... Wiley Vets are all these guys are at least 37 years old. They are free agents, not for the first time in their careers. And of course, we have Lance Lynn, uh, not getting his option, not getting picked up by the Dodgers. Kyle Gibson is a free agent. And then your boy, Wade Miley, had to find a way to group Wade Miley into one of these groupings for you. And here he is in our veteran grouping. So, are you what are you doing with these guys on draft day? Well, Wade Miley's the streamer. You knew that when you wrote this down. (laughs) I had to throw you a softball. (laughs) So, yeah. So then the easy answer here should be Lance Lynn. But the way the questions are framed, who are you drafting in a gladiator? I I think I'd rather have Kyle Gibson than Lance Lynn. He's going 300 picks later in ADP. But I think if it was a gladiator and I have to leave him in my lineup for 27 weeks, I think I'd I'd go with Kyle Gibson over Lance Lynn. Now in a 30-round fab draft, obviously I'm taking Lance Lynn before Kyle Gibson, but the the way this question is phrased, my my gladiator player is Kyle Gibson, my streamer Wade Miley and I'm letting Lance Lynn go. Yeah, with all with every one of these groupings, I think you you have to have it in the back of your mind which one of these guys is most likely to concede and sign with the Colorado Rockies or even Cincinnati and the ballpark that they play in plays, I think is going to play much more of a factor in you considering drafting these pitchers, especially the starters than they are any of the hitters that we talked about. Most hitters are going to find their way into their production, regardless of where they play after games in their home ballpark. But the pitchers, it plays a big role. You can find, you can end up having a pitcher, pitch more than half their games in their home ballpark if the schedule just works out that way. And if that home ballpark is conducive or not conducive to what they do for their profession, it's going to play a role. I do wonder, I don't think Lance Lynn is going to sign somewhere where he thinks he's going to fail even more so than he did last year. I think he's going to be, I think he just has I don't know Lance Lynn. We don't exchange Christmas cards or anything. I just have the feeling that he's going to have it more in his head. I want wherever I'm going to go, I want to put myself in to at least succeed more than I did last year. Kyle Gibson, I don't think cares. (laughs) I think Kyle Gibson will go where he will pitch. I think he's going where he can get the most money. And I think he's a guy, and, and many of these teams have good ballparks, right? The Kansas City Royals the Pittsburgh Pirates teams that are going to, that will sign him because he's affordable. If they're playing well, great. We ride him. If not, we flip him at the deadline. So, yeah. And and he's a guy that even on a two year deal, they'll flip at this deadline. Like you don't, you don't sign a one year deal and just let him go. It's just like, all right, well, he'll bring you more value if you have a two year deal at the deadline as well. All right, younger guys in this grouping coming up. All these guys are under the age of 30, which was not 
easy to do. You don't obviously see a lot of solid pitchers or free agent pitchers under the age of 30, but we do have a couple here. Lucas Giolito on the free agent block. Jack Flaherty after his short stint in Baltimore after being traded out of St. Louis, of course. And then you have we have Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who has been announced. It is expected he will be posted. I don't think that's technically official, but we're going to go ahead and just assume it's happened already. So he's lumped in here, only 25 years old. So this is most, like I said, all other guys are under 30, but Giolito and Flaherty just barely under 30. Yamamoto, you know, halfway, only halfway to 30 at 25. What uh, what kind of risk are you willing to take on, on, on these guys, Kevin? I am not taking a risk on Jack Flaherty at all. I, I have zero interest. Probably, I know that we, we talk all the time and, and we hear all the time. Everybody probably has a price. Jack Flaherty's price is outside of a draft Champions League for me. Outside the top 750. Really is. Zero. <laughs> That's a high price, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I think the, the easy answer should probably be Yamamoto. However, I, I think we're the the recency bias is coming in, you know, that these guys coming over from overseas historically haven't had success right away. And that's been different the past season or two, but even recently it hasn't. Singa is, is who I'm re- referring to. Kodai Singa yeah, had a great season. And and Otani as a pitcher has been great. But a lot of these guys, it there's an adjustment period. And I think Giolito bounces back. The The problem here becomes, once again, if I'm playing by the rules and I have to leave him in my lineup all season, it's a gladiator. Do I really, am I taking that risk with Giolito here? I think that's where I'm going to go, though. I think I'll, um, not early, but this isn't smart. I don't think it's the right move, <laughs> but I'm going Giolito is who was I would draft in a gladiator Yamamoto, the streamer, we won't be able to stream him, but that's where he falls in here for me. And like I said, I I don't have any interest in Jack Flaherty. Here's the benefit though, Kevin, the gladiators, as he talked about it, they are set it for literally, you can forget it. So you can forget the fact that you put Giolito in your son and just not worry about it until October when you go to check the final standings. And then don't look at the whip category. <laughs> you know, never. I don't know. <laughs> wonder what went into that. <laughs> All right. Last grouping of starters, and then we'll get into a couple of reliever groupings, Kevin. These, all these guys are coming back or will be coming back at some point from some kind of injury, some kind of surgery, some kind of missing some time. Of course, we have James Paxton, who's had plenty of injuries on his ledger. Frankie Montas, we talked about in a previous episode. It was nice to see him get in there even for, what, a third of an inning or an inning and a third. And then Clayton Kershaw, who just had some surgery of his own. We'll see how long that keeps him out as well. So knowing all the the clouds that that kind of surround these players and their and the concerns about what kind of health we're going to see come by opening day never mind in throughout the season you do have to draft and put one of these guys in your lineup in a gladiator you can avoid one of them in, even in a DC and then you're going to have to stream one of these guys at some point during the free agency or during uh the regular season did Paxton end the season healthy no, it was in September. He got put on the IL in September. He went back on the IL yeah, because yeah. he was showing flashes of being James Paxton at a couple times during the season. Montas is on his way back. Assuming he's going to be healthy, he's the guy I would draft here. Kershaw didn't even sound optimistic himself. said, hopefully I will pitch in 2024. The timeline for his types of injury uh, that he had surgery for just last week, I believe, or two weeks ago now, right around the 1st of November. He just had the surgery, and it, it could be up to a year, maybe even more timeline uh, as 
as sad as it is, I'm avoiding Kershaw and, and James Paxton, that this one actually works out pretty nicely for me. If I had to take one of these guys for a gladiator, it would be Montas. I definitely will be looking at James Paxton as a streamer when he's healthy and comes back throughout the season. And I, I have very low confidence that we see Kershaw in 2024. So this one's pretty cut and dry for me. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, I guess just the worry of whether or not Kershaw, like you worry whether or not he was going to retire it on these one year deals that, and we all, and we said, I think we said it last year as well. If Kershaw signs with anybody except for the Dodgers, I'm out. Um, because if the Dodgers weren't willing to bring him back, this stalwart of, of their franchise for how many years, and they weren't willing to bring him back. Obviously, there's a health concern that we're not aware of. And they brought him back. So it's good. But now we're at a point where even if the Dodgers bring him back, it doesn't, we already know where he stands. And the question mark that'll surround him on not only when he comes back, but at what capacity he will actually be able to come back from that surgery will be always in question. All right. A couple closer groups here to close this out here. Kevin, we have. Quite a few uh, relievers on the market that have at least some, if not a majority of their career spent in the closer position. These guys, the first group here, have of all of them have the most experience. I don't think any of them have anything close to a guarantee to finding a new closing position, but they have the most experience. I would say that they're probably in the top three choices for those teams that are looking for a veteran presence with the experience in the ninth. Can any of these guys actually find a spot to keep the job? That's going to be obviously the thing you think about when, with the guy you're going to draft. So Aroldis Chapman, free agent after being traded to Texas and getting a ring. Craig Kimbrell spent his time in Philadelphia and pretty much had the role for the majority of that se- of the last season as well for them. And then David Robertson spent quite a bit of time in the closer position, lost it in the end after being traded to Miami. Do any of these guys interest you to find themselves in a spot where they're actually going to take a closer role? And obviously that's the guy you're going to pick in your gladiator, but how about the other two? Yeah, that one of them does, and that's Craig Kimbrell. That everybody knows, including every major league team, we all know he doesn't perform well when he's not pitching the ninth inning. That's been worst kept secret in accurate. baseball. Yes. Yeah. So he's the guy I draft, and I and I do think he will land somewhere with the the closing job. The other two are are pretty difficult. I'm gonna go with streaming Chapman. I think he does land somewhere where he is going to be used in high leverage situations whether that's the ninth inning or not will be remain to be seen and he's being drafted accordingly in the 200s david robertson's going after 500 i think david robertson needs to find the perfect spot and and maybe still need to luck into save opportunities i think he's going to get a job and he's probably going to perform very well i just don't know that it'll be at a closer i'm confident craig kimbrell will be a closer i think a chapman can end up somewhere where he at least gets uh, a handful or so if not ends up uh, in the job and i'm not so sure about robinson so drafting kimbrell in a gladiator streaming chapman and i'll let david robertson go He's going to be available out there as a streamer in a lot of leagues going after pick 500 right now. Somebody to keep an eye on. But for this exercise, I'll let him go. It'd be interesting if Sean's uh, Sean Roberts' predictions on all three of these guys come true because there is you know, definitely a possibility they all find their way into a closer position. And his thoughts are actually the opposite of yours where he puts Craig Kimball in Arizona where if there was a spot where he would not necessarily be guaranteed the job, that's it with Seawald still there. David Robertson would be going to Detroit and he could very well be that veteran presence that could step into that role for the Tigers. And Aroldis Chapman going to everybody's favorite pitching park, Coors Field with Colorado Rockies. Whereas we talked about before recording, at least he'd be the closer (laughs) more than likely in that role. And I like Sean's note. He doesn't rely on a lot of movement. So if he's just going to go out there and throw 102 miles an hour, mm-hmm. maybe he's the guy for Colorado. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I talked about it last episode of the year before, or the episode before. 
And Jeff Zimmerman said it in his last Minding the News that pointed out the fact that Baltimore will be looking for a veteran reliever to fill in that ninth role. That I think that's a perfect spot for any of these guys, honestly. But Kimbrook stands out the most in Baltimore. I think that's exactly what you're looking for if you're Baltimore, that guy that you can you almost have to trust him in the ninth inning. As as shaky as anybody in Atlanta, Boston, San Diego will say about Ked Kimble, the overall numbers do show that he can handle the ninth. All right, and a couple other guys that are out there in free agency that Again, finding the right spot very well could land them. They could end up climbing up the the rankings of all relievers if they were to find, because their production and their stuff that they bring to the table is excellent across pretty much across the board for all three of these guys. If given the opportunity, they could be the Alexis Diaz's of this year where they could just shoot up rankings by middle of April. We got Jordan Hicks. Spent the end of the season with the Blue Jays free agent. Obviously, has some closer experience of his own in short-lived time in St. Louis. Hector Neris spent some time as closer in Philadelphia, leaving the Houston Astros. And then Robert Stevenson, who, like pretty much every other reliever not named Fairbanks, never really given the opportunity to shine in the ninth inning because they were with Tampa Bay. But all these guys look really good at times, if not almost all the time, especially when it comes to Stevenson. But who are you taking the risk on in a gladiator that'll do the most, regardless of if they find themselves into a closer role, they can still help you in in that kind of a role. Who are you avoiding and who are you streaming? Yeah, that's the key here is in, in any of these guys, I think could help us. Any of these guys could end up being on a roster all year long. Also, if you get in a really tight pinch, they're the type of guy you can drop. You can try to get them back, if not somebody similar, right? We talk about them every week throughout the season. Uh, but the guy I tend to think could just out of the gate, sign with the team and be the closer is Jordan Hicks. Uh, so I'm drafting him in the gladiator. And like I said, I'd, I'd be okay with any three of these guys in my lineup all season long, just for the upside. I think Hector Norris, we know he can close games. He has a time here or there, but for the most part throughout his career, he's just been an amazing setup guy. Like I said, I can leave him in my lineup all season, be happy with what he does for me. But I think Robert Stevenson. And he's a little older than most people probably realize. He is in his 30s, but I, I, I think he might stumble into something and Hector Norris continue to be the guy he's always been. So I hate to say that I'm going to avoid Hector Norris, but for the purpose of this exercise, I will. I'll stream Stevenson and Jordan Hicks being my gladiator team. I'm really similar to this. I think that... If I had to pick right here, Stevenson would be the guy that I would target in a gladiator just because if for no other reason, I worry a little bit about Hicks's health throughout the course of the season. And if he weren't to find a spot in a closer role, I'm not sure how much volume he's going to do to provide an ample amount of in, in a relief capacity in innings. Stevenson, I think, regardless of where he goes, whether he finds a he, he backs his way into a closer role or not. I think I have a little bit more trust that he's going to put up in volume his way into meaningful stats in that spot of my roster. So I, I think I just think it's a little bit more of a trust. I, I think I agree. Hicks has the ability to like, be the first man off the board in free agency. And then or you're like, oh, wow. Okay. Didn't expect him to sign there. Okay, cool. He's the closer. Let's just run with that. And if that's the case, he's not being drafted in these free agent so I will stream him in the first fab period. Maybe not stream him. I might just pick him up and then that's it. Because that's what that's gonna that's what's gonna happen, right? At some point, if he, he we're at this point where you're drafting these guys before they're signed, and if they don't get drafted in your draft and then they sign in a good spot, they just become a higher price ticket on your first fab run. And you're not dropping a closer like Hicks if he is in a closer role, at least not early on in the season. But yeah, I would agree. Neris, I don't expect Neris to find a spot where he's going to add any value that he's created for himself over the last couple of years. I think he's found his way into that 
perfect seventh, eighth rule, seventh, eighth inning rule. And it's I nice. Know, he's always there if we need it. You know, yeah, exactly. He is always yep. there. But for that room, there's no real upside there. So if I had to f- force myself to avoid somebody, it's Naris for that reason. All right, Kevin, we have a whole lot of free agents, a lot of free agents we didn't even talk about because I left, and of course, I left some of the bigger names off here for obvious reasons. I wasn't going to put Otani in the UT only section, though that would have made it nice and you know symmetrical or I would have had all three of the guys as UT only, but I didn't want to give you too many softballs there. <laughs> But with all this no, in Wade mind, Wade Miley is a streamer. That was the softball of the entire <laughs> exercise, right there. <laughs> we will. I, I'll throw this out there as well. I've gotten a couple of DMs. We will be activating our uh, next listener league this month. Hopefully, by the time this podcast goes out, I will have reached out to a few people. But if it's not full by the time you're listening to this and you want to join in, we'll do the 12-teamer on our next run because we did a 15-teamer on our first one, Kevin. Same rules and regulations as always. It'll be a $50 buy-in. There is an overall component to the 12-teamers, but no prize money. All the prize money goes toward the league winner. So it'll be a lot of fun. We're going to get these rolling. Last year, we did pretty much a draft a month through until we got to uh, February. Uh, and then it got up to two in February. I think we did three in March. So I would expect it will have a very similar kind of rollout throughout the course of this offseason as well. So if you're interested, shoot us a DM, shoot us an email, however you want to communicate with us. Find us, you can, and we'll get you in. But with that note and everything else we talked about, Kevin, you got any other final words of wisdom for everybody to live by? Yeah, everybody enjoy Thanksgiving weekend. Enjoy the PDF version of the forecaster coming out the Wednesday prior, less than a week from when you're hearing this. And sounds like 12 of us might be drafting over Thanksgiving weekend. So going to be a good time. There's nothing else to do around Thanksgiving, right? Then just exactly. draft baseball. Yeah. No, <laughs> and, and everybody's family loves it. When you go run into your computer every <laughs> little bit to see where, see where you're at and, <laughs> and, and or the... You are on the clock. They love hearing that throughout the day. Yeah, that's so. just yeah, that's obvious. Yeah, make sure you keep your speakers <laughs> on and don't turn off your sound effects for sure. <laughs> All right, with that note that is going to wrap it up for episode one thirty eight of On the Wire. You can follow myself on the Twitter at eighty grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Hasting Kevin. Of course, follow the pod itself at On the Wire Pod. After all that, I am Adam Howe. On behalf of Kevin Hayes, thanks for listening, and we bid you goodbye. Mm-hmm.